Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. Hear now the words of the Lord. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, they marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for that is opposed, and the sword will be, a sword will be pierced through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Those are the very words of God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. Uh, here's one thing you got to know about me. I love weddings. I just love weddings. I love weddings to death. I love seeing the personality of the bride and groom in the wedding party. You know, sometimes you may get the, the grooms wearing chucks or uh, you may get certain things. I love weddings. I love seeing a public declaration of love from one person to another uh, in the sight of witnesses and in the sight of God. Man, I just love the, the music of weddings and how people put things together. I, I love weddings. But one of the things you got to know about weddings is a wedding is just that. It's a wedding. A wedding is important, don't get me wrong. A wedding is extremely important as you publicly dec uh, declare before God and before witnesses your, your commitment, your love for one another, your covenant for, for one another. That it's, it's important, but a wedding, get this, is not a marriage. <laughs> a wedding is just that. It's just a wedding. It's a ceremony, right? It's not marriage. And anybody who's married, or even if you're not married, you will know that a wedding is not the actual marriage. 
Because you dress up nice and you look good for one another, but then you got to go home with one another and live life. Then you got to get to know one another. And all these things, these things that you didn't even know are, are beginning to unearth themselves. I, I didn't know she did that like that. I didn't know he was really like that. And all these things begin to happen. Why? Because a wedding is not a marriage. It's just a wedding. It's not the marriage. And as much as I love weddings, it's just a ceremony. And I think what we're going to see in this text, because when we come to our text, we'll see, but based on the surrounding story, it's easy for us to see a miraculous birth and to stop there. But what we'll find is that the story of Jesus is much more than a miraculous birth. The birth is important, yes, but it's much more than just a miraculous birth. I want to point to three ideas this morning. The first idea is that the coming of Jesus represents God keeping His Word. First thing. Secondly, I want us to see that the coming of Jesus represents salvation for more than the Jews only. And lastly, I want us to see that the coming of Jesus represents the end and the beginning of our waiting. I want to speak from the subject, more than a baby's birth. But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for 2013 and all the challenges and the blessings of 2013. But Father, as we move and transition into a new year, Father, would you be with us? Would you, would you keep us? Would your hand of protection be upon us, God? Father, I pray that you would just give us such a passion for your word, Father. Would you birth in us a passion for your word? Would you birth in us a holy dependence upon you, God? Help us to walk with you, to learn of you, to grow in you, O oh God, in 2014. Above anything else, Lord. Father, I thank you for this time that we can spend together. And thank you for how you are in our midst. Thank you, Father, that you inhabit the praises of your people. You live in the midst of praises. And as we've worshipped you through singing, as we've worshipped you through corporate prayer, Father, I pray that you would be in the midst of this preaching moment, God. Father, would you speak, Lord? Would you have your way in this place? Would you move me aside and would you speak to us, your people, O oh God? Father, I pray that you would allow me to decrease that you may increase in this place have your way this morning in jesus name i pray amen all right so for for the last uh, few weeks we've marched through the first couple chapters of the gospel of luke and we've seen many many things we saw the angel gabriel come to zachariah and elizabeth and tell them even in their old age that they're going to have a child uh, we, we saw the angel Gabriel as well come to Mary and, and we saw him tell Mary that, look, even though you are a virgin, you're going to have this miraculous conception and you're going to have a child. Mary was bewildered. She, she's, her mind is blown when she's told that she is going to have this baby. And the angel Gabriel said to her, this child is going to be great. This child is going to be like no other. He's going to be amazing. And the angel Gabriel told her, get this, nothing is impossible with God. 
we saw those things. Then we get to our text. And the first several verses point to this, this important background. And it's, Luke is smashing several things together in the first few verses of our text. He's smashing these several different Old Testament practices together. The first is that the firstborn creatures, man or animal, belong to God. And because they belong to God, it was necessary to go through what's called a redeeming process. A redeeming process. The redeeming process said the firstborn animal would be sacrificed to the Lord and for a firstborn child, the parents would be required to pay seven days until the circumcision. Uh, they, would, they would be required to pay uh, seven days, uh, five shekels after seven days of, of, of this child. And she had to stay at home. Mary had to stay at home for an additional 33 days. And on the 40th day, she would offer a sacrifice for her own purification. So after seven days, Mary is literally deemed unclean. And she would have to wait for seven days. And then she would have to wait another 33 days. And then she would go offer a sacrifice for her own purification after having her little boy. Lastly, we see Mary offering Jesus to God for his service which is the same thing that Hannah did in Samuel chapter 1. Samuel chapter 1, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, Hannah offered Samuel to the Lord after begging God that she would be pregnant and have a child. See, what we see from Mary and Joseph, what we see here is this idea of godly obedience. Mary and Joseph are extremely obedient to God. So many of us claim in 2013, we claim to know the Lord. We claim to, to walk with Him, uh, but we aren't obedient to Him. John tells us in his gospel, if you love me, you will obey what I say. You'll do what I say. You'll obey my commands. And what Mary and Joseph show us, they show us people who are obedient to the Word of God. And in 2014, what, what, what ought we look toward? We ought to be obedient to the Lord. Then Mary took Jesus to the temple. Simeon, a godly man, is there. Simeon is a man who had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Christ. And so in obedience, Mary and Joseph brought their son to be offered to the Lord, just like Hannah did in 1 Samuel 1. And Simeon took Jesus into his arms and he blessed God. He thanked God for this child that he had so waited upon. And one of the main ideas we ought to see is that the coming of Jesus represents God keeping his word. The coming of Jesus represents God keeping his word. It's not just a miraculous birth. Look at verse 29 with me. Simeon said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Get this. Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Christ. And when you, you can imagine that Simeon is a person who works in the temple. He's a godly, devout man, the Bible tells us. And he had seen many babies and he had been a part of many children being offered to the Lord and given back to the Lord dedicated to the Lord. He'd seen this and he'd been a part of this, but Simeon knew. How did he know? How did he know? He knew because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him that this is the child. So he held this baby. He held Jesus in his arms. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace 
according to your word. He's saying, now I can die peacefully. Because your word has come true. God, you kept your word. God, you kept your promises. And in essence, what Simeon is saying in our text is, God, you are faithful. I want to show you some of, these, some of this in, in, in the scriptures and in the Bible. Psalm 33, 4 says this. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done, get this, in faithfulness. Psalm 36, 5 says this. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 86.15 says this, But you, O Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and, get this, faithfulness. Psalm 91.3-6 says this, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. And I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says it this way. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And the overwhelming message of Scripture, the overwhelming message of our passage here in Luke chapter 2, is that God keeps His promises. He is faithful. He is a faithful God. When nobody else is faithful, God keeps His word. He is faithful. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? It means that it doesn't matter whatever kind of addiction that we've faced. It does not matter whatever kind of sin struggle that we found ourselves entrenched in. It does not matter. Why? Because God is faithful. He'll keep His word. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He won't put more on us than we can bear. He is a faithful God. I love um, those State Farm commercials. Y'all ever seen those? Uh, I'm thinking of in particular the one with the bisons. There's these two guys sitting in a car and they're eating a little food and all of a sudden these bisons come ram the car and they start screaming and they start going crazy. And then, you know, the one of the guys says, call on your State Farm guy. And so they yell out, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And poof, the agent comes. He's sitting in the back seat with them. And he says, do the jingle again. They do it again. And they, they, they clench shoulders in the car and it says, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And all of a sudden, they're in the office. Because why? State Farm is trusted. Uh, they're faithful. They can be trusted. That you can count on them. And in a sense, that's what Luke is saying here in this text. That God is faithful. Simeon has heard from the Lord. And he knows that he will not see death until the Christ comes. And he holds this baby in his arms. And what he's saying is, God, now I can die peacefully. Why? Because you have kept your word. You are faithful. You're a faithful God. You are a God who can be depended on. You're better than a car insurance company. You're faithful, God. 
The second idea I want us to see is that the coming of Jesus represents salvation for more than the Jews only. The coming of Jesus represents salvation for more than the Jews only. Look at this. Luke chapter 2. Luke says it this way in verse 26. He says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then in verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. Get this. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. In the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And, and the idea here is Simeon saying that Jesus has not just come for the Jews. He's not just come for, for the prominent ones. He's not just come for the ones who have a good family name. He's not just come for the affluent. But Jesus has come for all peoples. And I love this because this gives me hope. It ought to give you hope. Most of us are Gentiles. Ones who are estranged from Christ. Ones who are alienated from Christ. And Simeon says, this gospel, Jesus has come. He's come in the flesh of a man. And it's not just for the Jews, but it's for you as well. That's good news for us. And as we gather as one of few multi-ethnic churches in this city, why do we do this? Why are we here together as a body? Why are we challenging us as a body, as a church, to be in relationship with people that are different than us? Why? Because Jesus has come not just for the Jews, but He's also come for the Gentiles. If you know anything about the Jews and the Gentiles, they hated one another. Jesus says, I've come to reconcile people who don't get along with one another. I've come with people who are from different sides of the tracks. I've come from people who live in different neighborhoods than one another. I've come for for people who make a, a lot of money and people who make a little money. I've come for all of them. Which tells us that nobody is excluded. (laughs) He says, I've come not just for the Jews, but I've come to rescue, I've come to deliver, I've come to save, I've come to uplift all of you from your brokenness, from your sin, from your shame, and from your guilt. Jesus says this is not just for folk who are affluent. But this is also for the oppressed. It's for the estranged. It's for folks who have been cast out. It's for folks who have been put down. This gospel is all-inclusive for the broken and for for the, the ones that are held up. He says, I don't care if you don't have a good family name. I've come for you. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account. I have come to deliver and I've come to rescue you. I've come for you. He is salvation. He is a rescuer and a deliverer. It's one of the things I love about sports. 
uh, it doesn't matter what sport it is, um, whether it's soccer, it's all over the world, a worldwide sport, um, basketball, football, hockey. Well, hockey is actually, let's, let's not count hockey. Um, <laughs> forgive me if you're a hockey lover. But one of the things I love about sports is sports rallies people together. No matter your background, no matter your skin color, no matter where you're from, sports will rally you together. Man, I went to a St. Louis Rams football game not long ago. And man, we, we pounded the Saints. We just gave them the business And I'm in that stadium, I'm in the dome, soaking it all in. I hadn't been to a football game uh, since I was in in high school. And so I'm enjoying this game. I find myself turning around, high-fiving and chest-bumping people that I've never even met. Um, And people that looked completely different than me. Why? Because this sport had rallied us together. It brought us together. We had a common bond in our team, in the St. Louis Rams. And what Luke is saying is that you have a common bond, Jews and Gentiles, in Jesus Christ. He makes no difference. He is not a respecter of persons. He says, He has come for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. He's come for you to rescue, to deliver Would you find your hope in the one who has come for both the Jews and the Gentiles alike? The coming of Jesus, third thing, the coming of Jesus represents the end and the beginning of our waiting. I love this. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, and get this, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then go down to verse 38. Look at verse 38 with me. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Verse 25, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Verse 38, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There's this idea of waiting a couple different times in our text. And you need to know in antiquity, there was an anticipation. There was a hunger for the Lord. There was a a waiting for one to come and rescue them and save them. And to, to, to be their deliverer. But yet, we're still waiting now. How in the world can there be a waiting and Jesus comes and why in the world are we still waiting now? See, the reality is, yes, Jesus has come, but his birth represents the satisfaction of that waiting. And in in the first century, they waited for the coming of a Savior. And Jesus arrived and people worshipped. They thanked God because He has come. And they anticipated Him. They waited upon Him. And when He finally arrived, there was thanksgiving and praise to God. They waited upon Him. There was anticipation for His coming. But yet, we wait today. Why? Because Jesus 
is coming back again. You won't see this on the screen, but look at this with me. Um, listen to this as I read 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18. For this we declare to you for a word from the Lord, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. What words? That Jesus is coming back. That he will return one day. And so we wait upon his return. How do we wait? We wait with anticipation. But yet we are busy doing his work. We are busy being his hands and his feet. First century, they're waiting and Jesus comes. Now, here we are waiting for for the next greatest moment in history to come when Jesus comes back and he descends and he grabs those that belong to him. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. There's this element of waiting. How do we wait? Patiently. Patiently. We wait by loving God and we wait by loving others. We wait by doing work in this city. That's how we wait. I love um, buying stuff online uh, and, you know, new school. We buy stuff online, old school, you know, still go to the store and you hunt things down. And, um, but if you ever bought anything online that you really anticipated coming, the interesting thing is you buy this thing online and... You feel this relief, right? You've ordered it, and all you have to do is wait for it to arrive. And you've been looking for this item, and and you, you purchase it, and now you are waiting. But in one sense, you are looking for it online, and you found it. You are waiting to purchase it, and you purchased it, but yet you are still waiting for it to come. The package hasn't come yet. It hadn't arrived yet, and I think that's what we are seeing in this text First century antiquity, they were waiting for the coming of Jesus. Then he was proverbially ordered online. And Jesus arrived in the form of of a baby through the Virgin Mary. And now you and I are waiting on the second coming of Christ. We are anticipating his coming. Why? Because he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And in the end, he wins. In the end, he wins. So we wait on him. Yes, we still deal with sin. Yes, we still struggle with sin. Yes, we still face conflict. Yes, we still go without at times. And, 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 and there's more bills than money at the end of the month. But we wait upon Him. We wait upon Him to come. We wait upon Him to come as, as He will reign and rule. So we wait. I think Luke is telling us, I think he would say in 2014, wait upon the coming of Christ. Church, wait patiently, wait diligently, but be the hands and feet of Jesus in Memphis, Tennessee. Because he will come. Why? Because he keeps his word. Because he is faithful. 
and because He is our salvation. Jesus came. His first coming, He came and He lived as a man. He was tempted yet without sin. And He died a death that you and I should have died. He was broken, battered, and bruised for you and I. He was beaten for you and I. Jesus died and He was buried and He rose again on the third day. And now we wait for Him to come. But the question for you and I is, have you made Him Lord? Is He your Lord? Or is He just a genie in the bottle? Have you received Him to be your ultimate treasure? Or is He something you just pick up when you need it? Is He somebody you just grab hold to when you're in need or if you're, if you're going without? Jesus says, I am salvation, I am Lord, I am the resurrection, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Would you receive Him this morning as Lord? Would you walk with Him in 2014 as Lord? And would you patiently anticipate His second coming? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank you, Lord, that you did come. And thank you, Father, that you are coming back again. That you are coming again to claim those that belong to you. Father, we are so grateful that you are a faithful God. And we are so grateful, Lord, that you didn't just come for those that are prominent. You didn't just come for the affluent, but you came for the oppressed as well. You didn't just come for the Jews, but you came for the Gentiles as well. And we thank you this morning, because that gives us hope. And Father, I pray that in 2014, we would receive you to be Lord. And we would walk with you all the days of our life. And we would declare your ways, your goodness, your compassion, your mercy to others, Lord. Father, thank you for what you've done in sending your only son. Thank you for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Father, we find hope in that gospel this morning. That we are not left alone, but you sent one to rescue and to deliver us. And his name is Jesus. Father, I pray we receive him to be Lord, to be Savior, to be ruler to be master over our lives. Now, Father, I pray over these gifts that we're about to receive, these tithes and these offerings. Lord, may you use them for the blessing of your kingdom. Would you use them to further your kingdom? Would you use them for your fame in Memphis, Tennessee, O God? Lord, I pray that you would use them to raise up more leaders at our church. I pray that you would use them to be a part of planting churches. Help us to be a part of that, Lord. Pray you would use these gifts to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.